If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to find the place in Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. Now, obviously, we could have turned to any of the gospel writers. This same story is found in Mark chapter 16. It's also found in Luke chapter 24 and again in John chapter 20. Uh, I love looking at Matthew's uh, gospel. I love what he has to say in relationship to the truth that the choir just sang. Uh, just three days ago, we recognized Good Friday. Uh, good in the sense that the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, went to Calvary and died on the cross for our sins. Jesus died. Death truly is a situation for all of us. With every tick of the second hand, a soul dies. Mark Twain once said, Life is a losing proposition. You'll never get out of it alive. On the surface, that seems depressingly true. One out of every one dies. While even death caught Jesus. But it didn't know what to do once it got a hold of him. It could only hold him about three days. And then it had to turn loose. Recognizing that what Mark Twain thought was a witty little cliche to be an utterly false lie. The resurrection changes everything. Because Jesus lives, we can live. And we can live in unison and in harmony and in a relationship, a right relationship with God because of the sacrifice Jesus made. In fact, the resurrection is so important that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse number 17, Paul said, And if Christ not be risen, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Paul simply said that if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not really happen, then our faith is meaninglessness. There's meaninglessness in regards to who we are. But I'm here to tell you, you go to the grave, you go to the tomb, you recognize it is empty. Jesus is alive. I want you to notice with me this morning the events of that first Resurrection Sunday. When you look at the Resurrection Sunday here in this book of Matthew, uh, you'll find that there are several things worth noting. Let me see how far I can get in this message. Amen. Everybody can look at your watches, you'll see. He ain't got long. But that's the story of my life. Y'all can put that on my tombstone. He didn't have long. <laughs> let me show you something. First of all, let me, I want you to notice when you look at Matthew's gospel, I want you to see the arrival. The arrival. When you look at these first three verses here in the book of Matthew, in chapter number 28, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like white as lightning, and his raiment was white as snow. Go ahead and read verse 4. And for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Might as well read verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. When you read those first couple of passages, you cannot help but recognize and notice the arrival. The arrival, in fact, took place here on this particular Sunday, the first day 
of the week. And as the women approach the tomb, I want you to consider the motives of their arrival. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice in the text is they came to look. They came to look. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. The Bible again tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came. If you have your pens, pencils, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline this next phrase, to see the sepulcher. To see the sepulcher. If you look in Thayer's uh, uh, Greek lexicon, you'll notice that that word see there is a very interesting verb. It means to view attentively. It means to take view of. It means to survey. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that when they came to the tomb that day, they came to look. They looked at the tomb. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today that there are some of you that have come today to look and to see what is this all about. What is going on in relationship to this, quote, religion, end of quote. I just want to go on record and say if you're our guest today and you think you're coming to a religious event, you are dreadfully wrong. This is not talking about a religion. This is talking about a relationship with the God of the universe, a relationship that has been established through the one and only Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was anointed, the only begotten of God, the only son of God, the only one who lived a sinless life, the only one who willingly went to Calvary's cross, and the one that took our place and died and was buried and rose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, so that you and I could be in right relationship with God, and we can come here today and say, I know my Redeemer lives. That's why you're here today. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Some come to look. Number two, let me show you a second thing. Not only did they come to look, but they also came to labor. They came to labor. So what do you mean? Well, let me show you what the Bible says over in Mark chapter number 16. If you have your Bibles, just kind of turn over, if you would, uh, to that passage of Scripture. Mark chapter number 16 we get a little bit more insight into what's going on here this morning on the first Resurrection Sunday. The Bible says in the text, in chapter 16, in verse number 1, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. According to Mark's Gospel, we see that they came to labor. They came in a labor of love. They came to show their love towards Jesus Christ in that while he had died and they, he was buried, he needed to have the spices put on his body. I can almost imagine in regards to their labor as they came to the tomb that day, maybe they were talking amongst themselves. Maybe they were saying, oh, mercy, I, I, just, I just don't know how in the world, how are we going to get that tomb rolled away? I, I don't understand. We've got to get these spices to Jesus. They came in a labor of love. There are many that come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ thinking that they can labor to get salvation. They think they can labor in regards to this issue of earning their keep for God. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today, Jesus said with his own lips, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You cannot labor your way into heaven. These ladies that come to the tomb that morning did not come to labor their way to heaven. They came to love the Lord Jesus. They came that morning in an act 
of love, in a labor of love. But let me show you a third thing, if I could. Some, uh, when we find in the text, came to look. Some came to labor. And then there's a third thing I want you to notice. They came to linger. They came to linger. Notice what the Bible says uh, in John chapter number 20. If you have your Bibles, let's find the book of John. Uh, in the book of John, I want us to look in chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. I, I want you to notice, if you would, uh, verse number 11. John chapter number 20, verse number 11. Uh, somebody's been messing with my Bible. They moved the book of John. There it is. I found it. John chapter 20, verse number 11. Look at what the scripture says. The Bible says, But Mary, that's Mary Magdalene, stood without at the sepulcher weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. What are you seeing there, Pastor? What I'm seeing here in the text is her lingering. Some came to linger. She came to linger around the tomb. This verse tells us that Mary Magdalene stood without at the tomb after the others had already gone away. Uh, here uh, was a woman who loved Jesus so much she had uh, been with Jesus ever since she was possessed with seven demons. And Jesus cast those demons out and changed her life forever. I'm here to tell you when Jesus changes your life, you want to linger around with him just a little bit longer. She was one of the last at the cross. She was one of the first ones to see the risen Lord from the dead. Here she is lingering, and the longing of her linger is to see Jesus once again. I wonder this morning, when you think about what's happening here at the tomb on this first resurrection morning, can you identify yourselves with the women? Maybe you're here today, and maybe you've come just to look. Or, or maybe you're in this whole religious aspect of our culture today and you're trying to labor your way to heaven. Or, or, or maybe you just come just to linger with Jesus just a little bit longer. And you're wondering, is he really there? The first thing I want you to notice here in the text is the arrival. But then there's a second thing I want you to notice very quickly. The second thing I want you to notice is the activity. Notice with me the activity. In verses 2 through 8, we see that humanity was not the only one that arrived at the tomb on that day. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat Upon it, Mark chapter 16 tells us that while these women uh, were there at the tomb finishing preparing the, the body for burial, one of the concerns that they had according to Mark chapter 16, again, who is going to roll the stone away? It's so big. I can almost imagine Mary Magdalene looking at the other ladies and saying, you know what, it'd take an act of God to get that stone moved. And the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that there was an earthquake. A great earthquake. You see that in verse number 2? And there was a great earthquake. I remember a time when we used to call earthquakes an act of God. We used to call tornadoes an act of God. Tsunamis an act of God. We'd call these things an act of God. They were an uh, act of God waking us up to some things. But we have wished God away in our culture today. 
And it's heartbreaking to see that as our world falls more and more into turmoil and more and more into chaos, that the callousness of our culture has gotten us to the point where we don't believe in acts of God anymore. It's bled over even into the area of religion. Religion has rejected the relationship of God and based, based their security on the works that they can perform before God and try to satisfy God. When Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, satisfied all the demands that God required in relationship with your relationship with Him. But let me just say this. We've also seen this happen in Christian culture today. We care more about end times than we care about evangelism. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today. God did not call us to end times understanding. What he called us to is to evangelize a lost and dying world. He called us to make disciples. And in regards to making disciples, when you look at this passage of Scripture and you see God using this act of God, this earthquake, to move the stone, did he need to use an earthquake? No. No, he didn't. No, he didn't need to use an earthquake to roll that stone away. You clearly understand that when the angel arrived, the angel came down as the stone was rolled away. He didn't roll that stone away to get out. He rolled that stone away for us to get in. And so you see here in the text, I want you to notice the activities of the angel. Number one, he rolled the stone. He rolled the stone. Number two, the second thing he did is he removed the soldiers. Did you see what happened in verse 3 and 4? Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that according to the scripture that this angel's countenance was like lightning. And his raiment was white as snow. In verse number 4, the Bible says, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake. And became as dead men. I want you to notice that passage of scripture became as dead men. They didn't die, but they were like dead men. What does that mean, pastor? They were like dead men. They were scared to death. I can almost see them. Bless God, if I didn't have my new suit on, Grant, I'd lay down in the floor and act like one of them. But I can almost see them laying there at the mouth of the tomb. While the angels rolled the stone, laying there on their side, thinking to themselves, I, 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 I'm not going to move a muscle, but I just want to peek to see what's going on. And they're laying there as dead men. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today in regards to this passage of Scripture, when you see the arrival of the angel, when he, when he rolled that stone, when he removed those angels, I'm telling you, he removed some of the most well-trained military men of that day. When I think about this passage of Scripture, though, I, I think about how those soldiers got there. And I'll tell you what's sad to me. What's sad to me is that when lost religious people know more about the Bible and believe the Bible more than people who know Jesus... So what do you mean, Pastor? These people that were there at those guards, the reason they were there is because they were afraid Jesus was not going to be in that tomb on the third day. 
Now, mindful, they thought that maybe the disciples might come and roll the stone away and, and steal his body away. And that's going to be the report that they're going to say, and they're going to pay these soldiers off. But I'm going to tell you what, the eyewitness proof is there. When you think about the eyewitness proof of those who saw the stone rolled away and fell down as dead men because they were scared to death, they were lost religious people that had more faith than a lot of Christians do today. How sad that is especially living in the South, the Bible Belt, and to see what's happening to the culture that is around us, and to see how God has called us into an arena of evangelism and challenged us to go and share the gospel with a lost and dying world. And in regards to sharing the gospel in a lost and dying world, we have the truth. I'm telling you, we're going to stand under greater scrutiny when we get to heaven because we've got the truth in front of us, and we live in the South. And Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying there's a responsibility that's been given to us that we clearly understand, especially here at Maysville Baptist Church, in regards to loving God, loving others, and serving the world. We understand that it is not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. And this great commission means that we partner with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in partnering with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is the Spirit of God that has filled us and equipped us and given us everything that we need that we might go out and we might share the gospel of Jesus with boldness. Say, well, I'm timid and I'm scared. So am I. Say, that's a lie. Preacher, you standing up there, you, you, you as excited as a teenager at a Harry Styles concert. Can I just say this? I got, I got the, some of the senior adults going, who is Harry Styles? Let me excuse me just a minute. He's the Elvis Presley of the day. But in regards to this issue of the world that we're living in today, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today that in regards to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason why I can get over my fear and get over myself it's because there's another living inside of me. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in response to this issue of timidity and fear, as hard as it may be to believe this statement, but I've taken the test. I'll take another one for you if you'll send it to me. Everyone comes back. I'm an introvert. I like to be by myself. I enjoy peace and quiet. I enjoy all the things that, that, that nature gives to me. But I'm telling you inside of me, what happened to me on March 22nd, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, what happened to me on that day changed my life forever. And I cannot help but speak of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When God rolled that stone away through that earthquake, that act of God. The stone was rolled. The soldiers were removed. But I want you to notice this, th this third thing. This will probably be as far as I can get this morning. I want you to notice number three. The third thing here is he reminded the saints. He reminded the saints. The angel reminded the saints of several things in verses 5 through 17. Let me show them to you if I could. Number one, the first thing he reminded them was the past. He reminded them of the past. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 5. The Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear 
not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. There's the past. Jesus was crucified. The word crucified is tied to a real death. Jesus did not swoon. He did not faint. Jesus was in fact really and truly dead. I watched a special just a couple of weeks ago on the death of Jesus Christ and, and they were saying that as that spear was lunged up into his side and when you see the blood and water flow, it was literally his heart exploded. No one can survive that. Jesus really died. He reminded them of the past. He was crucified. But he also reminded them of the present. Look at what the angel said. The Bible says in the next part, he says, he is not here. There's the present situation. He's not in this tomb. He's not here. He is not in this burial place. The present fact of the reality is simply this. You can travel. You can go to King Tut's tomb. Guess what? He's not there. You know why King Tut's not there? It's because they moved him over into a museum. But guess what? He's still dead. Buddha died, still dead. Krishna died, still dead. Hitler died, still dead. Stalin died, still dead. Jesus died, but he's not dead. He's alive. He's alive and very much alive. This is the present. He reminded them of the past. He reminded them of the present. Remember what Jesus said when he died on Calvary's crosses? He said, to Telestai, it is finished. He said, it is done. No more. And on resurrection day, I can almost hear God say, it is satisfied. Jesus said, it is finished. God assured us that it is satisfied. The payment for sin has been made. Let me show you what he reminds him of the third thing. He reminds him not only uh, does he remind him of the past, not only does he remind him of the present, but he also, excuse me, reminds those women of the promise. Notice what the scripture says, as he said. I don't have time this morning to track all this down, but beginning in Matthew chapter 14, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. In Matthew 12, verse 40. In Matthew 16, 21. In Matthew 17, verse 7. In Matthew 20, verse number 19. In Matthew 26, verse number 31. All through the gospel of Matthew, Matthew is, Matthew is constantly telling us that Jesus is telling the disciples, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I must be crucified. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, for three days and three nights so too the son of man must be in the grave for three days and the bible is very clear in relationship to this issue of the promise he said he was going to die he said he was going to rise again and he kept his promise the angel reminded him reminded those ladies of the promise and then number four he also reminded them of the proof he reminded them of the proof look at what the bible says in verse number six the scripture goes on to say there in the text he says, he is not here, he's risen. As he said, here's the proof. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Hey. 
In many other gospel accounts, the Bible tells us that they went in and they saw the place where the Lord had lay, and there was the linen cloth that they had wrapped Jesus in, and it was just laying there completely, just intact, just like as he was there. The only problem was it was empty. The grave clothes was empty. The grave clothes was there, but the body was gone. How meticulous, if, if Jesus' body was stolen, how meticulous must you must be to unwrap the body of a man that is stretched, 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 uh, drenched in blood and how, how he's been wrapped up in that cloth and now as he is dead and tightly woven to unweave that and to take the body out and to wrap it back up is literally impossible. It could have never happened. Jesus really got up out of that grave. The Bible tells us there in the text that also in the scriptures, the Bible says that the napkin, the King James uses the word napkin, the linen that was over his face was taken off and it was folded and laying to the side. I've done some research on that. I've even made the uh, comments regarding it in the past uh, about the customs of uh, the first century. Uh, the, really, the fact of the matter is the custom of the folding of the napkin is really a is really a European custom. Uh, it is a beautiful custom that I would love to attribute to Matthew chapter 28 and the other gospel accounts, but unfortunately I can't. The custom goes like this, that when anyone was at a dinner and when they were done with that dinner, they would take their napkin and upon wiping their mouth and their hands, they would just put the napkin there on the plate. That meant they were done eating. But if the napkin was folded and placed on the side of the table, and if the individual got up and left the table, that meant they were coming back. When you look at this uh, story and you look in the other Gospels, you'll find the napkin being folded, which is a beautiful, beautiful metaphor in saying that he's coming back. And let me just say this, I believe Jesus is coming back. When you look at the word folded, it also not only means to fold up, but it also means to twist. Why in the world would Jesus get up out of those grave clothes, but take his napkin and fold it or twist it and lay it nicely to the side? Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today, it don't matter. Because Jesus is alive. He defeated death. And whether he was saying, I'm finished, I'm done, or whether he was folded up nice and neat saying, I'm coming back, I'm here to tell you, we don't have to guess, we don't have to speculate, we can know for sure, because we've got the written word of God, and the Bible says, in the end, we win! <laughs> so he tells them there in the text, we see this beautiful illustration, if you would, of the proof. We've seen the promise, we've seen the past, We've seen the present, but let me show you last of all, and I want to close with this, let me show you the plan. You see at verse number 7, go quickly and tell. Go tell. 
go tell. Go tell. That seems to be a theme. If you'll look in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse number 10, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to them, Be not afraid, go tell. Go tell. What is the number one theme that Jesus had after the resurrection? Go tell. Go tell. Go tell. Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you in regards to who Jesus is, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the one that really has risen from the dead. There have been individuals that have tried their best to prove. I watched three individuals this week in saying they started out with, their, with everything that they had in a most logical fashion to prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax and it didn't happen. And every single one of them, every single uh, time they did it, every time they come to the conclusion, Jesus really did rise from the dead. I think it's fascinating. One of the most foremost thought-provoking uh, individuals today who is struggling with the decision to trust Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord is Justin Peterson. Or Jordan Peterson, excuse me. Jordan Peterson's one of the most thought-provoking individuals, a philosopher that exists in our culture today. But to see him before he began to examine the resurrection and to see him now after the resurrection, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, something has happened to that man. It's fascinating to see someone come to know Christ as Savior. There are accounts of individuals who are philosophers, who are doctors, who are lawyers, who are investigators. I read a story of an investigator that did everything in his power from an investigative perspective, looking at the facts that have occurred in history, not just the scripture, but in history, gathering the facts and looking at the facts through history and looking to see what happened to Jesus and then coming back and reading the scriptures and absolutely mind-blown Jesus is alive. Therefore, if Jesus is alive, the instruction that he has given to you and I are so vitally important. The plan for you and I is to not sit and soak. The plan for you and I is not to sit and just absolutely consume ourselves with end times. The plan today is to evangelize. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 28, beginning in verse number 16, after he is risen again. There's so much more to this story, but I'm out of time. I have to, I have to land the plane. In chapter number 16, the Bible says, or excuse me, chapter number 28, verse 16, the Bible says this. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But look at here. But some doubted. There's some of you in here today that'll walk away from a sermon like this and you're still doubting. I just want you to know that that's biblical. But I also want you to know this, sir. Ma'am, if you die in your doubt, you go to hell. I'm not trying to scare you, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to do my, my God-appointed assignment. And that's to preach the truth. One day I'll stand before God and give an account to every word that's come out of my mouth. Just the mere thought of that humbles me 
and terrifies me. Because I know who I am. And I know where I come from. But as the assignment has been passed on to me and the calling of God is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I cannot righteously stand before a pulpit like this and just kind of tiptoe around the daisies and just try to tell you, you're okay, I'm okay. I'm here to tell you the truth. As passionate and as lovingly as I know how, don't die in your doubt. But not only did some doubt, some believed. Those that believed in verse number 18, look at what the Bible says. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And here it is, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I submit to our friends here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. For those that are in their doubt, for those who have heard this time and time and time and time and time again, but for whatever reason has continued to put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. Could I just tell you what the Scripture says? The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Now is the time for you to lay aside your doubt and to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. So I don't have all the answers. You don't need all the answers. All you need is Jesus. He is the answer. And so, dear friend, if you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior, would you lay down your doubt today? Would you see the facts of the resurrection? And just as the approach of the women came on that Sunday, how their doubt turned to belief, for they saw the empty tomb. I'm reminded of a biblical story in response to this issue of faith, where Thomas told the disciples, he said, unless I see the nail prints in his hand, and thrust my hand up into his side, where they pierced his side, unless I do that, I just will not believe. Jesus in loving Thomas, choosing Thomas to be a disciple, Thomas knowing to be a man of doubt, Jesus came to Thomas and said, Hello, Thomas. Here's my hands. Hello, Thomas. Here's my side. Take your fingers and put them into the imprints of where the nails were, Thomas. Here's my side. Thrust it up into my side. And Thomas fell to his feet and said, My Lord, my God! Jesus picks up Thomas and he says, Thomas, you're blessed. You've seen the nail scars. You've seen my side. Thomas, you're blessed. But listen to me, Thomas. How much more are those that are blessed who believe yet have never seen? See, brothers and sisters, I've never seen Jesus with my own eyes. I didn't see him go up. But I will see him when he comes down. 
and every eye will behold him. Brothers and sisters, today, could I ask you this question? Are you in right relationship with God? If you're a born-again child of God, here we are on this Resurrection Sunday morning in April. How's your relationship with the Lord? This would be a great time right now, early, still early in this year, but I'm telling you, this year goes by so fast. The older we get, the faster time goes. Amen? Don't you want to spend whatever quarter that you're in in relationship to your walk with Jesus? Don't you want to spend it on fire for Jesus Christ? Then why don't you come back to Him? Come back to Him. If you're a Christian, maybe you're backslidden, come back to Jesus. Number two, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. This is a great time, a great day for you to get saved. Paul said this, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Brothers and sisters, you can be in right relationship with God. Dear friend, you can be in right relationship with God. How are you in right relationship with God, friend? By trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. By confessing your sins. Putting your faith and trust in Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The evidence has been true. Jesus is alive. Could we pray together? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we go to a hymn of invitation. As Lee's making his way and Individuals are getting in their place. I'm going to ask you here in just a few moments to stand. And as we stand, we're going to sing. I'm going to ask if I could to get some brothers. Pastor David, would you please come this morning? I'm going to ask you to please stand right over here. Pastor Mark, if you'll just come and stand right here, dear friend. You'll stand right here. I'm going to come stand in the middle. Maybe you're here and you'd like a pastor to pray for you. Christian friend, it would be a great time to come get right with God. Say, boy, I... We got to get out of here. No, you ain't got to do nothing but get right with God. Whatever God's saying, however God's moving inside of you in your heart, maybe it's come to make a fresh commitment, a recommitment. Maybe you're coming for the first time to be saved. Maybe you prayed that little prayer I just prayed. Would you come and let me pray for you today? Father, would you have your way? In Jesus' name, amen.